0: You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, y'all. Well, let's pray and let's get into the Word tonight. Father... Thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness in our lives. Lord, thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather in your name. And Father, again, I thank you and praise you that it doesn't matter where we are, that you are right there in each room, each place that each of us are. And Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit and the anointing are there as well. And so, Father, we purpose to receive from you tonight. We believe for insight, for revelation to come. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher. And we give you permission, Lord, to open our hearts and our lives to be able to receive from you. And Father, I thank you that it will produce change in each and every one of us. And we believe to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, turn in your Bibles with me to two openings. First, we're gonna look at Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at uh, verses 24 through 27 there, and then we're going to go over to Luke chapter 6. So if you want to turn there and put a uh, marker there, we'll look at the same story or the same uh, sermon, I guess, or illustration uh, that Jesus gave us from Luke's perspective. Excuse me. And so in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, again, we're we're talking about overcoming the storms of life. And so uh, we're going to look at what Jesus had to say about this and and then touch on a couple of things that we covered last week, and then we'll talk about some things from this week. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, Jesus said this, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And if you'll remember, we said last week, the rock that this man built his house on was hearing the word and doing the word. So that is the rock. And it says in verse 25, And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. Excuse me verse 26 but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain descended the floods came and winds blew and beat on that house and it fell and great was its fall so let's turn over to luke chapter 6 and let's look at luke's take on the same thing You know what's interesting, too, and and when you read the book of Luke, remind yourself this. Luke was not one of the original 12 disciples, so he was not present when a lot of these things happened. I believe what Luke did is he had conversations with the other disciples and would get their perspective, and of course, by the Holy Ghost, uh, receive those things, but in Luke chapter 6, verse 46... It says this, But why do you call me, Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. So we began talking last week and a couple of points that we just want to look at and and both of these uh, takes on this, Matthew and Luke both emphasize the same thing and that is this, Jesus told us that the storms of life come to everyone. So uh, all of us are susceptible for the storms of life to come into our lives and to happen. Uh, You know, I don't want to ever imply that just because you give your heart to Jesus and because you choose to live and believe in the Word of God that you'll be exempt from challenges and problems in this life. Uh, no, we're all subject to those things, but the good news is Jesus told us in this story that it all depends on whether we not only hear the word, but we're doers of the word as well. So Jesus taught us that the storms of life come to everybody. <clears throat> and as a part of that storms come to good people, you know, they um, There's a a misbelief that if you are a better person, that maybe, you know, life will be better to you and so forth and so on. And, you know, we kind of look at when people are, uh, you know, mean or evil or however you want to articulate that, that, uh, you know, that adversity comes in their lives and it's because of uh, their behavior and it could be a contributing factor. But I want you to see that even good people experience life's storms so they come to everyone but the good news in all of this is Jesus is giving us a heads-up and he's telling us that hey the storms are going to come but there are things that we can do to prepare for the storm and minimize its effect in our lives if, if 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 not do away with the effect of it completely and that all comes from hearing the word of God and being a doer of the word as well. Now, what I want to do tonight is, I, and I've taught on this before, but it bears repeating, and that is I want to talk to you about the different types of storms that we will encounter. The different types, and there are three primary types of storms that we as believers will encounter in this life and again i don't mean to imply that this is a totality uh but i think you'll find that most of the difficulties that we encounter probably come under one of these three categories and so we're going to look at this and this will also help you answer the question you know why do storms uh you know happen uh why do they come to to certain people and and so forth and so on so let's look at this The first type of storm that we see from the scriptures is called the storm of disobedience. The storm of disobedience. And here's a a harsh reality, but it is the truth and a reality nonetheless, and that is this. When we are in disobedience, when we choose not to do what the Word says and what God has told us to do, that we open ourselves up for adversity, to have an entry into our lives, we open the door for the devil to be able to come into our lives. And so I want to explore this a little bit. And probably the greatest example in the scripture that we have of someone who experienced adversity and experienced a storm due to obedience would be a guy in the Bible that if you've heard of, if you've ever watched Veggie Tales, you've probably heard of this guy. And that is uh, the prophet Jonah, Jonah in the Old Testament. So if you want to, let's go back to the book of jonah and uh, let's uh, look at his story and uh, explore it in a little bit of detail it's a little short book so jonah chapter one if you have to look in your table of contents no shame there and um, He's in there with those uh, small little prophets where the, the pages still stick together in the, towards the end of the Old Testament. Uh, if you have the right kind of Bible, it's page 1251. <clears throat> if you have a godly kind of Bible, no, I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Uh, Jonah chapter one, let's, and I'm going to read the first 17 verses of the book so that we could kind of look at this. So Jonah chapter one, verse one says, "'Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, "'the son of Amittai, saying, "'Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, "'and cry out against it, "'for their wickedness has come up before me.'" Now, just to give you some historical context, the city of Nineveh was in the country that we read about in the Old Testament called Assyria. Assyria was a, a country that was between the nation of Syria and Babylon. And uh, nowadays, uh, Iraq makes up both Assyria and Babylon. And if you've ever heard of the Iraqi city, Mosul, which you probably heard a lot during the Iraqi war, that is the modern day city where Nineveh once uh, was and where it once uh, stood. So in verse three, but Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord now a couple of things Jonah did not want to follow uh, and do what the Lord told him to do he did not like the people of Nineveh by the way uh, they were a very wicked people and uh god wanted to pour out his mercy into their lives once and for all and spare them from impending doom uh but jonah didn't want anything to do with that now the first mistake that jonah made was notice what it says a couple of times that he chose to flee from the presence of the lord well i got news for you you can't flee from the presence of the lord because god is everywhere so wherever you happen to be, the presence of the Lord will be there as well. So you may think that you're running from God. You may think that you're running, uh, you know, from the call of God. You may think you're running from what God has asked you to do, but, but you're not. It, it's following you around everywhere you go because the presence of the Lord is there. Verse 4, but the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea. So Jonah, and he's gotten on the ship and he's trying to run from God. He's headed to Tarshish. And so the, the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. And by the way, this is in uh, not the causative sense. In other words, God didn't send or cause the storm to destroy uh, you know, the ship and, and for everybody to die and all of that. Uh, but Jonah, because of his disobedience, allowed it. So uh, this is in the permissive sense. So God permitted the storm. And it says, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then verse five, then the mariners were afraid and every man man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship, had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came to him and said to him, what do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. Isn't it interesting, human nature, that all of these people, uh, with the exception of of Jonah, were all heathen people, but they all went to prayer when the storm got heavy. And, And by the way, you know, these guys are established sailors. They were used to being on the water, so this storm must have been pretty bad if it scared them that bad, okay, to where they went to prayer. So they came down, woke Jonah, up and said, hey, you need to be in prayer as well. Verse seven, and they said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. Even heathen nations back then believed that they had to please their gods. And if bad things were happening, that meant that their gods were mad at them. So they wanted to find out who had made their God mad. Okay, so, uh, so they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And so he said, verse nine, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea in the dry land. Well, he might respect God, but he didn't fear him or else he wouldn't have been running away from him. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And then they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. Verse 12. And he said to them, pick me up. Throw me into the sea, then the sea will become calm for you, for I know that the, this great tempest is because of me. So Jonah said, here, I'll take one for the team. Go ahead and throw me over, and uh, the storm will calm down. Nevertheless, verse 13, the men rode hard to return to land, but they could not, for the sea continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, we pray, O Lord, Please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared or allowed a great fish to swallow Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, uh, somebody says, I don't know if I believe that that actually happened. Well, uh, that's entirely up to you. I believe the Bible says that it happened. And so therefore I believe that it happened now. So we find Jonah, he's running from the will of God. He's in disobedience. He's opened the door to this storm in his life. And so now he and by the way the condition and and the story is getting worse and worse and worse so now not only was he in a ship and the ship was encountering a storm but now they threw him overboard now he's floating around in the mediterranean and and so now he gets swallowed by you know and i know we have taught it was a a whale but we don't know if it was a whale it could have been something else that swallowed him so his situation has gone from uh, bad to worse okay so what is the way out of a storm of disobedience so anybody want to guess obedience uh well repentance okay mm-hmm. repentance is the doorway out of the storm of disobedience so what happens is if you find yourself in a storm because you have disobeyed god the first thing that you have to do is you've got to repent you've got to go before the lord and acknowledge that you have messed up that you have sinned and uh, so that begins the process of you coming out of that storm so the simple way to come out of that storm is to repent and the good news is god will start the process of that storm throwing you up on the beach which is exactly what happened to Jonah in Jonah 2 uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 it says then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly and so the uh, the Lord had the the fish throw him up on the uh, on the beach on the seashore and so we see in verses 9 and 10 that uh Jonah says, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So Jonah repented, basically said to the Lord, I will do what you want me to do. And so he had the fish, God had the fish, throw Jonah up on dry land. Now here's another part of this that we've always got to remember. Just because you repent does not mean you're now exempt from having to go back and obey God. Okay. So, you know, a lot of times we get ourselves into trouble and we repent for the trouble that we caused, but we kind of forget what got us in that situation to begin with. And so what you have to do is you have to back up and go back to what the instructions were that God gave you. So we see... In chapter 3, in verse 1, so Jonah finds himself on the dry land, and notice what happens. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So verse 3, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So God gave him a second chance. The instructions came and this time he obeyed. He learned from that storm, he learned from that lesson. So Jonah uh, arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city, a three day, three day journey in extent. Now the, the greater area of Nineveh was made up of not only Nineveh but a few other uh, smaller towns but to walk from one side of the city to the other Took three days. It was a huge city. And so uh, Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So his assignment was to go and preach repentance to the people in Nineveh. The people listened and they began to move towards repentance. Now, you know, I guess the question comes up, well, could God have gotten somebody else to go? Well, I suppose he could have, but God's will, God's plan was for Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach to the Ninevites. And, and, you know, part of it had to do with something that God was doing in Jonah's heart as well. So drop down to verse six in chapter three, it says, then the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them or allow upon them, and he did not do it. Okay, so um, you get the gist. Nineveh, or excuse me, Jonah found himself in a bad situation because of his disobedience. Now, here's something I want you to understand. When we disobey God, it's not God that brings the trouble on us. We need to understand that we open the door for the devil to be able to come into our lives and steal, kill, and destroy. The way I I look at it is this, is that God's hand of protection is on our lives as we walk with him and as we obey the word but when we disobey him, we move ourselves out from underneath God's protection and what God desires to do in our lives. It doesn't mean God loves us any less, that he's mad at us and all of that. He's displeased with our decision and our behavior, but what we have done is we've opened ourselves up to our adversary to be able to steal, kill, and destroy and bring those things to pass in our lives. So if you wanna stop that work from continuing in your life the first thing that you have to do is repent and then the second thing is you have to go back to what it was that god told you and that you chose not to obey and begin to obey and and god will cause the thing to turn in your favor he'll cause the protection to return and then um, he'll cause healing or whatever needs to take place in order to correct the situation, okay? So that's the first type of storm that we encounter. The second type of storm that we encounter is the storm of association. So you have the storm of disobedience and then you have the storm of association. Now, what is the storm of association? The storm of association comes uh, comes about in our lives because of the people that we are associated with and the decisions that they make, okay? So, you know, this might be in a business environment, it might be in a relational environment, um, and people that we are in relationship with or people that we're in business with or uh, or something along that line, uh, they make decisions that are contrary to God's will, plan, and purpose and because of their decisions, they opened the door for storms and adversity to be able to come into our lives. So let's look at an encounter that we see happen uh, with this situation. And let's go over to the book of Acts, chapter 25, please. Acts, chapter 25. And uh, we're going to look at uh, a story with the Apostle Paul. And so um what i want to do is i want to begin with what led up to this situation so in acts chapter 5 let's look at verse 6. um the governor of festus and every time i read that i can't help but think of gunsmoke. uh but anyway uh that's an old joke you young folks might not understand but anyway um so paul has gone before the the governor of Caesarea, who was a man named Festus. And uh, so uh, Festus has decided he he really can't make a decision in Paul's case. So in verse six, it says, and when he had remained among them uh, more than 10 days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought before him. And when he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. And while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. So Paul is declaring his innocence. But Festus, verse 9, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and there be judged before me concerning these things? Now, um, I want to just put a little side note here. There was a prophet that had come and ministered to Paul and told him that he would find himself going before Caesar. Okay? Now just keep that in the back of your mind, verse 10, and Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged to the Jews. I have done no wrong, as you very well know, for I, for if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Now, uh, verse 12, then Festus, when he had conferred with the council answered, you have appealed to Caesar to Caesar, you shall go. Now, the reason that Paul did this was Paul was technically a Roman citizen. He was a Hebrew, but he was also a Roman citizen because of Tarsus being born in Tarsus. And so, uh, when he appeared before the governor, all he had to do was appeal to caesar and that automatically meant he was going to have to go to rome and go before caesar so that's exactly what happened and that's what began to play out so festus releases him and says okay you appeal to caesar then to caesar you'll go so look at chapter 27 please and you will see that um Paul gets put on a ship let's fast forward a little bit Paul gets put on a ship a Roman guard is assigned to him so he gets put on a ship that ultimately is supposed to take him to Rome so that he could go before Caesar so look at verse 9 in chapter 27 and it says now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already all over, and you've probably heard this story before, but Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also of our lives. So Paul received a, an unction in his spirit. He had a knowing in his spirit that this wasn't going to work out. Uh, well, that it wasn't going to go well. And uh, so, nevertheless, verse 11 the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the thing spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. Okay, so. Paul, uh, they're on the ship, they're on their way to Rome. Paul says, wait, guys, I really am sensing that this is not going to go well, uh, that there is going to be great harm that's going to come to the ship and, and potentially to all of us. They chose not to give heed to what Paul said and persevered in their journey anyway. So here's where the problem begins. Paul tried to tell them what the right decision was. They did not listen to him. And so because of their decision and their their, uh, lack of willingness to do what Paul said, they're going to encounter a storm, all right? So drop down to verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they thought, okay, weather looks good, we'll leave. They sailed close by Crete but not long after a tempestuous, tempestuous headwind arose called Euracladine or Euracladon so when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind we let her drive now in the Greek that word that phrase there tempestuous headwind uh, the only the picture that I can paint for you is this would be of hurricane proportions so this was not just a little fly-by-night thunderstorm. This was a serious, serious windstorm that arose. Okay, so in verse 16, when running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. And when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run aground on the surtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And because we were exceedingly temp- tempest-tossed, The next day, they lightened the ship, okay? So, let's pause there and let me say this. Paul found himself in the middle of this storm with the people who had disobeyed God, okay? Now, what you need to understand is he is in this storm because of his association with these people that chose to make bad decisions okay so he is in the middle of this storm and he's going through the storm with the people who made the bad decisions all right so let's go on and because we were exceedingly tempest tossed he said the next day they lightened the ship on the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us all hope that we would be saved was finally given up so this storm has gotten so bad it's 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 tearing up the ship it is really a bad bad situation so paul in verse 21 said this in verse 27 or chapter 27 verse 21 but after long abstinence from food then paul stood in the midst of them and said men You should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all of those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, what has happened is God pours out his mercy on them. Uh, He's going to protect Paul because of Paul's assignment. But God pours out mercy on everybody and tells Paul, okay, no life is going to be lost. Only the ship is going to be lost. But again, I want you to understand, Paul is going through all of this situation in, in, in with the guys who made the bad decision. But God is protecting him in the middle of this storm. So, verse twenty or verse thirty-nine, it says, and, and uh, what." Well, long story short, let me because I, I skipped a bunch of verses. The the storm ended up destroying the ship. They all ended up in the water. Okay. And uh, then they they made it up on a, a beach on the island of Malta. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, They ran the ship aground. The bow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves, and the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But when the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on board, some on parts of the ship, And so it was that they all escaped safely to land. Now, I want to ask you a question. How come all of the lives of those men on that ship was spared? Because of Paul. Because of Paul. Right. Okay. So even though their bad decisions opened the door to this storm to bring great destruction and to cause a lot of hurt and harm to the, the, they lost all of their freight, they lost the ship and everything, but God spared them because of Paul and Paul's relationship to the Lord and his assignment and what God had called him to do, okay? Now, if you find yourself in a situation, now do we ever read anywhere in that story where I just read where Paul went before the Lord and he said this, God, you know, I have done my best to obey you ever since I gave my heart to you on the road to Damascus. And here I am in the middle of this storm You know, these guys, uh, you know, their foolishness is what brought me into the storm. God, I don't understand. I don't understand why I'm going through all of this. This just isn't fair and just bemoaned it and whined and complained and all of that. No, we don't read where Paul did that at all. So let me give you what you need to do to come out of a storm of association. And that is this. You must endure the storm. Okay. Now, here's what you you can do is you can trust that God will protect you in the middle of that. Now, uh, you know I have found myself in storms, not because of my own doing, but you know of course I have made mistakes and brought things on my own life because of my own disobedience. But I have also found myself in storms because of the decisions that other people made. And what God's plan was is for me to, uh, because I had an assignment, I had to go through that storm and I had to endure it. Now was it fun? No, it wasn't fun. But God protected me and God made sure I came out on the other side of the storm. Now. Here's some things that you can count on. I want to show you this, okay? There's three things that you can count on if you find yourself in the middle of a storm of association. Here's the first one, and that is this. You can have supernatural help while you endure the storm. If you will trust God, you can have supernatural help while you endure the storm. I want us to look at chapter 27 and verse 23 and notice what Paul said. You know, he told the guys, he said, Listen, verse 22, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. And look at what he said in chapter 27 and verse 23. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and to whom I serve, saying to me, and then he told them what the angel said. Okay. So what that, what that shows us is that if we will keep our hearts right and endure the storm, we can trust God to, he pro- may not be an angel, but he will provide supernatural help to enable you to be able to endure the storm. Okay. All right. Now, here's the second thing that you can count on. And that is this, You can still flourish in the midst of the storm and God will still use you. You can flourish in the midst of the storm and God will still use you. A lot of times we find ourselves in a storm, whether we cause it or whether somebody else causes it, and we think God can't use us in the middle of that situation. And, uh, you know, in this situation where it's a storm of association, God can and He will use you as long as you keep your heart right and uh, make yourself available. Let's look at what happened here. Go over to chapter 28. Okay, so they find themselves uh, cast on this island. You remember the soldiers had planned to kill everybody, you know, so that no one would escape. And the centurion stopped them, said, Hey, look, look, don't do this. And so uh, in verse 28, or chapter 28, rather, in verse 1, it says, And when they had escaped, they, they found out that the island that they were on was called Malta. And Malta is a, a, you, it's still there. You can go and look at it and Google it. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire, made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. And, and you might remember this story. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on a fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened onto his hand. So when the natives saw, the people saw that the creature hanging on from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt this man is a murderer, whom, uh, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. See, they assumed that Paul was a criminal just like the other prisoners They didn't know anything about him, and so they thought, hey, he's getting his because this snake had bitten him. Verse 5, but he shook off the snake or the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. However, they were expecting that he would swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had looked for a long time and saw no harm come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a God. Okay. Now, uh, nowhere in the Bible, including Mark chapter 16, does it say we can be foolish and mess with snakes and handle snakes, okay, like some of those crazy churches up in the hills practice, all right? <laughs> um, you know, that always ceases uh, or never ceases to amaze me uh, how people can be so foolish and stupid. But Jesus said, if, if this happened to you, then it would not harm you. Okay, so that's a promise that Paul is resting on. And so he continues to go about. So in verse seven, in that region, there was an estate of the leading citizen of the island, whose name was Publius, who had received us and entertained us courteously for three days. So I want you to think about this for a situation. Paul has come out of this, or they're, they're finishing up this storm. He finds himself someplace that he should not be. But because of the storm, he was there. God has already supernaturally protected him in the storm. God has protected him from a snake bite that didn't kill him. And now, because of God's favor, this man, this, excuse me, this rich man has um, poured out favor on them and is now taking care of them, feeding them, and so forth and so on. So I don't know about you, but I call that thriving in the middle of a storm. All right, you're doing pretty good when all of that's going for you in the middle of a storm situation. And so it says that it happened that the father, this is verse eight. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went in to him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. So when this was done, the rest of those on the island who had diseases also came and were healed. They also honored us in many ways, and when we departed, they provided such things as were necessary. So God not only protected paul in the middle of this storm he protected paul from the serpent met their needs met paul's needs they were taken care of but not only that god used him in a mighty way to minister healing to we don't know how many total people uh but a great number of people and so god was able to use paul in the middle of this situation that he did not cause on his own all right Now, here's the third thing, is that even though you find yourself in a storm of association, if you keep your heart right, God will still get you to your destiny. He will get you where you are supposed to be. Okay? So we see in verse 16 that uh, they end up, it says, Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him." So in the middle of all this situation, this storm of association, because Paul kept his heart right, God protected him, God provided for him, he was able to thrive, and then he still got to where he was supposed to get. So, you know, you might find yourself in a situation because of bad decisions that other people have made, Well, again, if you'll keep your heart right and trust God, God will protect you. God will provide for you. He'll give you supernatural assistance, and then he will still get you where you need to be according to his will, plan, and purpose. All right. Now, here's the third type of storm that I want to talk about. And uh, let's go over to Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter, please. Mark's gospel, the fourth chapter. Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter. And this last type of storm is the storm of obedience. Now we've looked at the storm of disobedience. We've looked at the storm of association. Now we're gonna look at the storm of obedience. And this storm arises because you follow, you do what the Lord has told you. Now this might sound like a catch-22 situation to where Uh, You know, if you disobey God, you're going to encounter a storm. If you hang around people that make bad decisions, you're going to encounter a storm. Now, now you're telling us that uh, if I obey God, I'm going to encounter a storm. Well, yes, I'm telling you all three of those situations are possible. Okay. Now, let's look at Mark chapter four and look at verse 35, Mark chapter four and verse 35. Okay. It says this. And on the same day, uh, when evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us cross over to the other side. Now, what were the instructions that Jesus gave to the disciples? <clears throat> to cross over to the other side. Yeah. Okay, boys, let's get in the boat. We got to go over to the other side. Okay. So. That, those were the instructions. So it says, Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were along or also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into that boat so that it was already filling. All right, now, interesting enough, this same phrase where it talked about a great windstorm is the same phrase that was used over there in the book of Acts Where it talked about a windstorm of hurricane proportions, so this was a big storm. This was not just a, you know, little little sprinkle. This was a serious storm that happened. And so it says, uh, but he was in the uh, verse 38. He was in the stern, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. The wind ceased and there was great calm, but he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? All right. Now, tell me again, what were the instructions? Cross over to the other side. Go to the other side. Did they get in the boat? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Were they on their way to the other side? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what that tells me is they had obeyed what Jesus said. Mm -hmm. They were right in the middle of the will of God. The reason we know that is because Jesus was so calm and confident in what was going on. He went to sleep. So they were right in the middle of the will of God. Now, I find this interesting. Do you think this storm caught Jesus off guard? No. No. It yeah. didn't, okay? But, because if it did catch him off guard, he was wrong in rebuking them by saying, where was your faith, all right? Mm-hmm. Jesus knew it was a high possibility, if not likely, that this storm was going to come, okay? And And if you go on and you read uh you will find out why the storm came but but what i want you to see is is the disciples encountered this storm when they did exactly what jesus told them mm-hmm. and they were right in the middle of the will of god now i want to tell you this there's a misbelief in the body of christ that it, that says this if i'm doing the will of god and if i'm right smack in the will of god everything is going to go smooth everything is going to be just peachy keen everything is going to work out in my favor okay well i got news for you that is not reality and that is not the truth if anybody's ever told you that they're wrong okay because when you are in the will of god there is a high possibility that the storm can arise now Why did this storm arise? Well, we won't take the time to read it, but if you fast forward and you look at it, Jesus was headed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to a region called the Gadarenes. He had an assignment given to him by the Father to go over there and minister deliverance to someone that we know as the Gadarene demoniac, this man that was demon-possessed that lived in the cemetery and uh frightened the people and so forth and so on now a couple of the things you need to understand is that this area on the other side so if you had a if, if if i could show you this if this was the sea of galilee galilee and nazareth and all of that where jesus was ministering and capernaum is up here where they're going is down here Th- there that was a portion of of uh territory called the decapolis and what that meant was is right beside one another there were 10 cities that's what decapolis means now they were very closely related they were very intertwined by commerce and and so forth and so on now what if you'll read this story you'll find out that this gadarene demoniac man had so disturbed all of these people that it affected that entire region and what god's intention was to go down there and deliver this one man and if this one man was delivered you remember what happened is the the bible says that he got delivered he was clothed and in his right mind and and was listening to jesus and uh, The people were so amazed by this, and what God was endeavoring to do was to bring deliverance to this entire region. He was desiring to bring deliverance to all of this area. Now, if you understand anything about the devil, what you need to understand is, if he gets a glimpse of what God is desiring to do, then he is going to endeavor To try and thwart God's plan. So this storm that arose uh, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee was the devil's attempt to try and keep Jesus from being able to get down to be able to minister to this man and bring deliverance to this whole area, okay? So this storm arose because the devil did not want deliverance to, to come to that entire region. All right, now, so what what did Jesus do to deal with this storm? Again, all of the disciples, they're right in the middle of the will of God. Jesus is right in the middle of the will of God. He's doing exactly what the Father told him. So what is the answer to this storm? What did Jesus do? He spoke to it. He spoke to the storm. So if you find yourself in a storm of obedience, here's what you do the command of faith will stop the storm. I'm going to say that again. If you find yourself in a storm of obedience, the command of faith will stop and still the storm. Now, I love this, I did some some further study into this, and and I'll just make these couple of points and then we'll be done. But when the enemy brings opposition against you because you're in the will of God, you are rightfully uh, permitted and allowed and should use your authority and faith to stop and still the storm. Now, I wanna point this out to you, okay? Notice Jesus rebuked the disciples because they did not do exactly what he did, meaning they could have. If they couldn't have, if they didn't have the authority, and and because he was in the boat and could have used his authority and name, if they couldn't have rebuked the storm, then Jesus was wrong in rebuking them. So, and, and by the way, the disciples have no more authority in this situation than you and I have in the name of Jesus. So if you find yourself facing a storm of obedience that has come to oppose you because you are walking out the will, plan, and purpose of God for your life, you are in your right position to stand up and use the authority of Jesus' name and by faith stop and still that storm. Now, I love what it says. Look at... um, Verse 39, it says, Then Jesus arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea. Does it say anywhere in there that Jesus prayed about that storm? Mm-hmm. No. He didn't pray about it. He didn't have to pray about it. And I got news for you. You don't have to pray about that storm. If it's a storm of opposition, you don't have to pray about it. Talk to it. Okay? Okay. And so what did he say? Peace, be still. Now, if you'll, if you dive into the Greek, I love this. The Greek language actually says this, it, you know, peace, be still is what our Bible says, but what it says in the Greek is be silent and muzzled. Like you would muzzle a dog. Okay. In other words, shut up, be quiet. And, and stop your barking and your bite. Okay? Now, I love that. So what, and by the way, Jesus isn't just talking to the wind. He's talking to the, to the spirit that's behind that wind and that storm. Okay? And then it says, and the wind ceased. Now, what is interesting about this, if you look it up in the Greek language, it says this, that the wind ceased because of extreme fatigue or being worn out. In other words, the storm decided, I can't fight against this, I'm worn out, I can't stand up against the authority that Jesus has, so I just give up, all right? That's what's gonna happen when you use the name of Jesus on the storm that comes against your life. Now here's what it also says, when it talks about the great windstorm in verse 37 it uses the greek language uses the word megas, which we get the word mega from so it was a mega storm okay now notice what it says jesus verse 39 he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm what's interesting is and i love this It says that it was a mega storm that arose, but when Jesus spoke to it, a mega calm came. And what happened is Jesus met the mega storm with an equal and surpassing amount of mega peace and calmness that overpowered the storm. So what will happen is if you find yourself in a storm of opposition, speak to it in Jesus' name, tell it to be quiet, be stilled, you know, sit down, whatever you need to do, and know that in Jesus' name, that it has to be quiet, it has to be stilled, and there will come a mega calm to address the mega storm, okay? So, you have the storm of disobedience, the way out of that is repent. The storm of association, the way out of that is to endure and trust that God will protect you and cause you to thrive. Then the storm of, of, of obedience, all you got to do is speak to the storm and God will address the storm in Jesus' name and there will be a calm. Somebody said, you know, pastor, I tried that. I spoke to the storm one time and it didn't happen, it, it, nothing changed. You know what? That's because that's what the storm wanted you to see. That's what the storm wanted you to believe. We've got to be able to speak to the storm and not be moved by the bark that that storm has, okay? Just understand that that storm has to be quiet and it has to be still when you speak to it in the name of Jesus, amen? Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.